Our sermon text for today is actually not going to be the gospel text, which has been fairly typical, but we're actually going to look at the epistle text today from our series of lectionary scriptures, and that comes from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, it reads like this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you were no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. Father, I ask now, as we are gathered around your word, that in spite of my many weaknesses and shortcomings, you would speak through this vessel. You would use me as a tool in your hands to bring about your powerful and mighty word to the flock you have gathered here today. I ask, Father, that as the word is heard, hearts would be transformed yet again. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, folks, we have made it. It is the final Sunday of 2020. It's indeed, we're there, we're almost there. We are almost done with 2020. And I can't tell you how many times this year I have seen people post about the desire to finally get rid of this very challenging year. If you're on social media at all, of course, you've probably seen any number of memes and pictures illustrating the difficulty and the challenge that all of us have faced really around the world. I decided I'd pick out a few pictures for you that really, I think, illustrate well, um, well, I guess the way 2020 has felt for many of us. Uh, First of all, I suppose if 2020 were a Uh, A slide, for example, it it might be a slide that ends far, far too abruptly. Or, for that matter, if 2020 were, let's say, a swing set, well, it would be a swing set built far, far too close to a very hard wall. On the other hand, if 2020 were a bag of chips, well, no doubt it would have to be orange juice and toothpaste-flavored chips because that's about as good as it gets this year. And for that matter, if it were an ice cream truck, it might play a beautiful song, but in the final analysis, it would only sell liver and onion-flavored ice cream. And then to top it all off, for you Office fans out there, if 2020 were a person, no doubt it would have to be Toby Flenderson. So, you all know what 2020 has been like. Now, 
I don't highlight any of this or joke around about any of this because I take lightly what everybody has gone through, but I do think that humor is helpful. I do think it's appropriate. It helps us get through the challenges and the difficulties that, frankly, we're not done with yet. But the reality is, for everybody, there's been unpredictability, there's been health scares of family and friends, there's been lockdowns and isolation and depression and fear, and I could go on and on. And as the days have turned into weeks, and the weeks have turned into months, I wonder if you have found yourself asking difficult questions. And specifically, when I say difficult questions, I mean difficult questions about God's relationship to this whole time that we've been in. There's any number of scenarios one might be prone to believing when we consider God and time. Let me me just go over a few that might have run through your head or certainly have run through other people's heads. I I mean, first of all, I suppose you could get to a place where you could simply say, you know what, after surveying all of the challenge of this time, I'm just not convinced there really is a God above time anymore at all anyway. It is certainly not unusual when there are periods of massive upheaval for people's faith to be shaken like that. And after all, from our perspective, there's a whole lot that looks disorderly and chaotic and, frankly, like there's no reason or rhyme to it at all. We see the small business owner who's forced to shut down his restaurant and lose a business that he put his blood, sweat, and tears into, and we shudder in frustration. We see a hairstylist who's been building up her clientele for years, suddenly unable to pay rent and uncertain what she's going to do moving forward. We see people that we know and love get sick. We see our fellow countrymen right now dying at a clip of about 3,000 people per day in this country from a virus that hopefully we're getting close to being vaccinated against but still do not have everything we need. Indeed, some of you know, as I have have spoken to you personally, that you have wondered out loud such questions to me in our conversations. Well, you're not alone. You're not alone. There have always been those, even those of great faith, when times of struggle have come, that have wondered if God is even there. C.S. Lewis wrote a book a number of years ago after his wife died called the grief observed now i will tell you it's not for the faint of heart and it is pretty difficult but i have found this book to be an immense comfort because it's so brutally honest about the feelings and the struggles that one goes through when they are suffering and in one passage he wrote this and this is c.s lewis i think most of you know c.s lewis is sort of seen as a giant of the faith and last century. I mean, we, much of, many of us love him, love him dearly. And yet in his time of great grief, he wrote these words, quote, when you are happy, so happy you have no sense of needing him, meaning God, 
so happy that you are tempted to feel his claim upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting and then only silence. End quote. Now as I will show later on, Lewis never did give in to atheism, the idea that God is not above time. But many have. Of course, if one decides to go this route in the face of suffering, they're not actually doing much to fix the problem. As a matter of fact, it is one choosing to give in to complete and ultimate despair because all the things that we hold to be meaningful about our lives, it turns out in this scenario, are a complete illusion. They are lies that we tell ourselves to make each other feel better, but in the final analysis, according to this view, you can't escape it. You are meaningless space dust that will end up in a permanent dirt nap, eventually piled on the rest of the junk in space. From the perspective of our text today, of course, that option just isn't open to us. It's made abundantly clear in the passage that God is above time, that God somehow is ruling over everything we see. And of course, it's not just the scriptures that tell us that clearly, but it even is science and philosophy that lead us to believe that such a thing is at least highly probable. I mean, as much as it may seem in our day-to-day lives that there's chaos and lack of predictability, when we look at the universe around us and and take a, a sort of broader approach, it becomes abundantly clear that there is incredible design behind all of it. And that leads one to rationally say, if there's all this design, then it makes sense that there is at least a designer. Do I understand what he's up to? Not necessarily, but I can't just stretch the bounds of my rationality and say nothing created everything. In fact, it is partially because of this kind of reasoning that some have been led to believe in a second option, which is that, okay, there is a God, but he's just not very interested in time. In fact, he's not interested at all. This view is sometimes referred to as deism. That's its proper title. And it was, of course, very, very attractive to many of our founding fathers here in the United States of America. It was a popular religious view. The view basically said that, yes, there was a God above time, that he got this universe going, but ever since has had no things to do with it. He doesn't get involved in the affairs of men. Now, this view was popular and I suppose could be appealing for a couple of reasons. One, it it gives us an awful lot of control because essentially this view says, hey, yeah, there's a God, but it's up to you to fix the world. It's up to you to get things right with your reason and with your technological advancement. 
And of course, the other appeal of this view is that, well, you don't have to deal with how to explain what God could possibly be up to when things seem so chaotic and disorderly. We can just say, well, he's there, but he's not actually involved. But again, especially if we're looking to hold a biblical view, that ain't going to fly, folks. It's just not. We can't get around it. God is shown to be intimately, intimately involved in time. I mean, the same God who is said to rule above every star and every galaxy in the universe throughout the Psalms is also said to be the God who doesn't allow even one sparrow to fall apart from his will. That's how intimately involved he is in his creation and in his time. So no, we, we, can't, we can't say there's no God and we can't say that there's a God, but he's just not involved. So then there's a third option, which is to say God does exist and God is involved, but he, he can only do so much. He's limited in what he can, what he can do about the times that we face. Some would say he purposely limits himself. Others would say he's actually truly limited. And again, the appeal here of taking this route is that you can sort of, well, emphasize instead of God being so powerful, you can emphasize God being close and empathizing with people in their struggles. This was, of course, what was behind the popularity of the book uh, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People by Rabbi Harold Kushner. In the final analysis, he ended up taking the tack that, yes, of course, there's a God, but God is unable to fix our problems. Instead, he just empathizes with us in the midst of our problems. But of course, again, biblically speaking, I don't think it'll fly. The God who is presented to us in scriptures is above time and intimately involved with time is also presented as, well, Yes, truly powerful enough to fix the time. Well, okay, we've gone through three unsatisfactory possibilities. There is one more in which you can affirm God as all-powerful and God is involved in time. And that is basically that, that yes, he's involved, but he's involved to punish us. This view basically holds that looking at the universe and all the struggles in it, that God is actually in some way sadistic. That in some way or another, he he is a cosmic sadist. C.S. Lewis actually came close to this view in his grief observed. A little later on, even though he never, never gave up on the idea of God, he said, I'm not afraid that I'm going to say there's no God at all, but I am afraid I'm going to say, so this is what God's really like. Deceive yourself no longer. And of course, Lewis would not be alone. The songbook of the Bible, the Psalms, have many of the writers crying out to God, asking questions like, why are you letting me suffer? Why are you letting me go through this? Are you there? Do you care? Are you enjoying this? Are you enjoying this? Well, 
Well, as natural as it may be to ponder such options in times of great challenge, the truth is this view is also untenable and frankly short-sighted. Of course, the the scriptures will allow us no such thought as God is depicted as good and compassionate and caring for his creation. But even beyond that, to imagine living one's days so hopeless, so in despair, that you believe that the God who runs heaven and earth is out to get you all the time is a weight that no one can bear for very long before giving up. And so back to Lewis again. Lewis, as he's pondering all the struggles he's gone through in the time of losing his wife, finally comes down to this view of God. He finally ends up saying, I think, I think God is more like a surgeon. Here's what he says. Suppose that what you were up against is a surgeon whose intentions are are wholly good. The kinder and more conscientious he is, the more inexorably he will go on cutting. If he yielded to your entreaties, if he stopped before the operation was complete, all the pain up to that point would have been useless. And this, this view gets us, I think, closest to what the truth is. This view says, yes, God is in control. Yes, God is involved in your life intimately, but he is actively working for your good. Even when it feels like he isn't. And that leads to the view that our text forces us to take. And that is, God is actively redeeming the time. God is not absent from time. God is not powerless in time. God is not cruel with time. God is redeeming the time. Let me read it again. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Do you hear how in those very few words, God is presented to us as both over time, ruling over time, and yet intimately involved in time? As a matter of fact, the word there for fullness of time can can literally be translated in Greek, the exact moment prepared beforehand. Don't you dare give in to the despair that says there's no plan, this doesn't make sense. No, 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 no. Christ will not allow it. His coming will not allow it. What we just celebrated this week at Christmas will not allow it because he came at the exact appointed time sent from all eternity past. And what did he do? He sent forth his son to do what? To be born of a woman and under the law. That is to say, when God entered space and time in the person of Christ, he came with all the frailties and all the struggles of what it is to be human. He knows what it is to suffer and struggle and yet to do so without sin. And why did he enter into space and time? Here's that word again. This is why I say it in the final analysis. We're not allowed any other view. He came, verse 5, to redeem 
those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons? How does Jesus redeem us who are subject to the frailties and hardships of time and our sin and corruption, the entropy laws that seem to be unbreakable? What does he do? He absorbs the entropy unto himself. He absorbs the hatred unto himself. He absorbs pandemics unto himself. He absorbs your sin unto himself. As Paul writes in just the chapter earlier, in chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Far from God not caring or being uninvolved in the struggles of time or committing evil against us, God in Christ faces evil himself on our behalf at the cross. There he absorbs it all. There he takes upon our sins and struggles. There on the tree he is overwhelmed with the wrath of God so that you will never be overwhelmed with the wrath of God. And as our text will go on to show, this redemption results in your adoption as sons and daughters of the true and better king, a king of a kingdom that will have no end. And no more pandemics, and no more political infighting, no more lockdowns, no more face masks, and no more social distancing. In a word, no more 2020s. No more. A couple weeks ago, my, my friend Sarah Condon lost both of her parents in a car accident. Being incredibly close to her parents, she was, of course, devastated. Nonetheless, uh, approximately a week after the accident, she decided to write a post entitled simply, Some Thoughts You May Have the Week After Your Parents' Deaths. I'd like to share a few of those thoughts. She wrote down 24 of them. I won't share all of them right now, but... In the process of wrapping this sermon up, I, I want to share a few. Number one, you will be amazed at what you can accomplish from bed. Number four, you will realize that people will find all of your bed, bath, and beyond coupons when you go home to Jesus. <laughs> Speaking of her mother's coupons. Number five, you won't eat much, but when you do, it will be lasagna. <laughs> it's okay to eat only one meal a day if it's lasagna. Number seven, the communion of saints will be real. People will show up to help in the strangest, most beautiful ways. Organizing linen closets to incorporate old quilts, opening Amazon boxes, snuggling your weepy children on a couch. Number nine, you won't sleep much. But when you do, you will wake up sobbing. You will walk around unbathed and moaning to yourself like some kind of Old Testament prophet. 
Number 16, you will be terrified for the first 24 hours that you will lose your faith and then realize that you are about to have a baptism of weeping. And you will somehow believe that Jesus is near. Number 24, the last of her points. You will worry that Christmas is ruined, but you'll have been promised that the darkness cannot overcome the light. If God is for us, who can be against us? The Apostle Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's my final word for 2020. Father, We thank you that in the midst of struggle and trial that you are not powerless nor are you absent but you are with us and that you are going and actively doing something to fix it. May the knowledge that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus our Lord fuel us in to 2021. May you be our hope that never ends, no matter what comes. And so, Father, we submit ourselves to you praying the prayer our Savior gave us with one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.